So I came across a clever story uh, about a property manager uh, who was entrusted with an older aging building. It was uh, over 10 stories high, but it was older. And over the years, these large offices had been converted into smaller offices. And so it increased the, the amount of workforce without um, the amount of infrastructure. So there was this growing mounting frustration to ride the elevator up and down. It would be so slow, uh, especially at peak hours beginning and end of the day. And so she was faced with a dilemma. There was lots of solutions she could have employed. I mean, some not real cost effective, like an external uh, elevator that you mount on the side of this aging building. Uh, you could have incentivized the tenants to have maybe stagger their start and stop time so people weren't bogging down the elevators all at the same time. Uh, she could have gone and incentivized and talked about the risks or the, the value of using the stairs and the cardio workout that would come from that, but she did none of those. In fact, what she did is at each level of the elevator lobby on each floor installed floor-to-ceiling, wall-to-wall length mirrors because she assumed, rightly so, that people would be willing to wait a little longer if they could look at themselves. And I find genius in that because it seems to be the most simplest conclusion, but I also think, and the reason I tell you that, is I think there are moments in our lives where we need a, a reflection, we need a mirror. Maybe it's through a friend, maybe it's through God's word that shows us what our life needs to look like or the potential that our life can look like or show us the blind spots of what our life does look like. We need to see that reflection. And I think that's really important when we start to talk about our salvation. I wanted to do a series this summer to unpack the nature of what it means to be saved. It, it, there's a lot of connotations built around our salvation. Um, and yet Paul would say to this young church to work out your salvation. So in other words, salvation is more than praying a one-time prayer and avoiding hell. Salvation is meant to be active. It's meant to be growing. It's meant to be progressive. There is something like a physical maturation that's supposed to happen spiritually as well. But left up to our own devices, left up to work out our salvation in isolation, we never really get to grow. And the one thing I've come to understand is that change is inevitable, but growth is not automatic. We will change, not necessarily for the better. And so when we talk about our spiritual lives, there's something that's happening, but it's not necessarily in the right direction. And so I think salvation, we're being saved not just from hell, we're not just being saved from, hopefully we're being saved from addiction, we're being saved from um, unforgiveness, we're being saved um, from a lack of peace, but think about it this way, maybe we're being saved to hope, maybe we're being saved into generosity, we're being saved into compassion, we're being saved more and more into the likeness of Christ and the image of God that we already bear. I don't think any of that is accidental, though, and so what I want to do is look at salvation as acceptance. If there was a sort of ground zero, when we talk about salvation, we start with a level of, um, of acceptance, and that's kind of a, an interesting thing to look at because sometimes um, salvation works uh, both ways. 
uh, we both have to allow it and recognize that it's true, uh, but then we should do something with it. So here's what I mean by this. I have at times shared something and it bears repeating. There is something at the very beginning of Jesus's earthly ministry, before he has a chance to build a resume, before he's healed anyone, before he's delivered anyone, before he's saved anyone, he wanders out from Jerusalem and he arrives at the, at the Jordan River to be baptized. And so he hasn't had a chance to build up this spiritual resume. And I think this is really important for us to, to see in the chronology of Jesus's life. He gets baptized and he comes up out of the water and the voice from heaven with the dove says, this is my son in whom I love and with him I am well pleased. The important thing to understand is at the beginning of our spiritual experience, we start with a divine affirmation. There is this temptation to somehow want to clean up our act, make ourselves more presentable, maybe even more lovable to God so that we can somehow mitigate his anger that we've heard about. And yet at the very beginning, when we're talking acceptance, we have to understand that there has been this divine affirmation. This is my child in whom I love. And with you, I'm well pleased. My son was born and he didn't have to earn my affection. He didn't have to somehow earn my love. It was just automatic. And so it is when we're born into this relationship with Christ. But something needs to also happen. It's like a child who grows up in a home feeling the love of their parents, but never actually finding their own contribution. It was a few years ago, I was sitting doing premarital counseling with about a, he was about a 42 year old man. It was a second marriage for him. He had been an only child and it wasn't going well in his counseling. He had said some really off color things and really shutting up his um, fiance. And I was like, oh my goodness, um, this is gonna be painful. Um, but then he started talking about his own parents and describing them um, and how his mounting frustration with them. And, and how annoyed he was at him because, well, they're slowing down and they're getting harder to hear. And he always has to repeat himself. And at this point, I'm thinking, do you not think that you're going to grow old at one point? And do you not think that you were once young, like a child and they changed your diaper? I, I, I wasn't very kind in this moment because I took pastoral liberty and I wanted to hold up a reflection about what he looks and sounds like. And oh, by the way, she's going to have to live with you. And this is going to be impossible. I think when we start to understand that we are loved by God, that God's no longer angry, God's in love with us as his child and with whom I am, I am proud of, there's something that happens as we work out our salvation that we start to find our contribution out of love for God. That as we work out our salvation, we grow in the ability to express care and compassion. We grow in a hunger for God. We grow in, and it starts to realign the way we shape and, uh, our, our time, our finances, our relationships. And it starts to become an expression of our salvation. So what I want to do is look at what acceptance means. So salvation means acceptance if we allow it and believe it. Um, but then acceptance leads to revelation. 
And this is where I want to look at a snapshot in an Old Testament passage out of 2 Kings chapter 22. Maybe you want to flip open your phone or, or open a Bible if you brought one. But in 2 Kings chapter 22, what we see is this. Acceptance always leads to revelation. And revelation always needs a response. I think one of the most attractive features about Christianity is that the notion that the God of the universe speaks intimately and personally to each and every one of us. That this isn't just a generic God uh, who speaks generically to all people. He's speaking personally. This is my son in whom I love. With him I am well pleased as a divine affirmation that he's spoken over all of us. But being that that's the case, I think when God reveals God's self, it requires a response. The end of a relationship or the end game of our spiritual life isn't just to hear from God, it's to respond to God. And that's where transformation occurs. It's one thing to just hear, and it's sort of like talking to your kid, like, did you hear what I said? Why do I have to ask you three times? We all pray that God would speak. We all pray that God would provide. We all pray that God would lead us, guide us, deliver us. And maybe God's more active, but we keep tuning out because we haven't heard what we want to hear yet. And so I'm saying, when we experience God's revelation, it always requires a response. And so uh, in 2 Kings chapter 22, uh, change, or rather growth, only happens when a person responds to revelation and is able to receive from other sources. And here we see a three-act sort of unfolding of this personal and corporate revival. And there is the boy king, Josiah. He's eight years old. And for a few generations before him, they have not walked in the way of the Lord. And so they've technically been the people of God, but they've introduced all of these other forms of worship. They said, oh, a little fertility worship didn't hurt anyone. Uh, and then there's a little kid sacrifice. That didn't really hurt. Well, that does hurt someone, but we're going to think it's okay. And they've sort of intermingled with all of these other religions. And so spirituality got very plural. And it wasn't just the one God. There was many gods. They still followed after Yahweh, the God of Israel, except that they started to make room for all of these other gods. And it became very toxic to pure worship or to the nation's prosperity. And so here's this boy king who comes into power at eight years old. And he has, ten years later, it starts to say that he, he came into a, a, a personal acceptance of God and started following him. And so this was a personal calling. It wasn't like he was kind of raised in this. Uh, and then by the age of 22, he started making changes. By the age of 26, he's now refurbishing the temple he's commissioned a group of of workers and they start going through the temple and clearing it out and what they discover is the book of the law so all this time they were talking about oprah i guess all this time they were talking about self-help all this time they were talking about all of these other gods except they had lost the word of god or they hadn't lost it, they put it off in storage in a back room and just started doing religion without the word of the Lord. And so what happens is Hilkiah, the priest, he comes out and he's like, uh, Joe, King Joe, um, can I? 
and he asks for this public reading. And they go through this public reading and he starts to realize all that they were doing that was wrong. And so at first he has this acceptance of God and he cleans up the temple. Um, but then kind of act two is the revelation from God. And so the revelation from God is that, oh man, we weren't even doing Passover right. Oh man, we were letting in all of these other gods. Oh, all of a sudden what they realize is their love for their God had been cooled because they got distracted with all of these other things. And so once they reopened the word of the Lord, it became sort of like a, a plumb line, if you will, if, uh, to use a construction term. It became like a North Star, like, oh, we got off course somewhere along the line. And so Josiah, this 26-year-old king, starts to tear his robes and he starts to inquire and he talks about great is the Lord's anger because what happens is revelation always requires a response. The point of a relationship with God isn't just to have God's provision. It's not just to hear from God. It's our response. And so when we work out our salvation, we start with a basis of, yes, I'm accepted. And I want God to speak. I want to have this personal connection. But when we hear from God, how then do we respond? And so he's like, oh no, there's a new sheriff in town and we got a clean house. And so he goes to town and there was a prophetess by the name of Huldah. And Huldah stands up in front of a court of men. She holds court with the high priest Hilkiah. She goes to all of the other priests. So I want you to hear this because the church today often gets accused of a lot of patriarchy, which it's rightfully so. But what we have is a woman in leadership, not just in nursery, a woman who's operating with authority, not just in the kitchen because they're going to have a potluck after service, but a woman in leadership standing up before the king, before the high priest, before all the other priests, and saying, thus saith the Lord. This is where you veered off course. So you have this boy king that grows up to an adult king, and he receives a revelation from God, but he's able to receive from all of these different sources and say, we got off course. So Again, I would say acceptance is super important for us to understand that God is not angry with us. He affirms us and then welcomes us into this loving relationship. But as we grow in salvation, we need to have a loving response. When God speaks, it's always about our response. So he starts to tear his robes and, uh, and, and, and then in Act 3, it's, he responds to God. And, and it's just a willingness to turn. Um, and, and the verse that says in, in, this is 2 Kings chapter 25, uh, 23, verse 25, he says, neither before nor after Josiah there was a king like him who turned to the Lord as he did with all of his heart and with all of his soul and with all of his strength. There is this picture of turning. And that is such an important word for us to understand. If you grew up in the church, if you grew up around urban street corners, you probably heard about street preachers telling you to turn or burn, that you were going to die in heaven, that you, that you were going to die and not go to heaven, that you, that you needed to repent. And we hate the term repentance uh, because it reminds us 
of our stumbling. It reminds us of our inadequacies. It reminds us that we're not measuring up. And so who among us likes to come to church and hear a message about repentance? But here what we have is this reminder of what repentance is. Repentance actually means a turning. And sometimes it's turning away and sometimes it's turning toward. Sometimes we turn away from unforgiveness. Sometimes we turn away from a lack of compassion. Sometimes we turn away from resentment and unforgiveness because God is revealing that God has something better for us. And maybe it's the reflection of scripture about our own potential. Maybe it's through a friend. Maybe it's through our own personal struggles. But life as we know it just isn't working and so we've got to try something else. Maybe it's we turn toward generosity. God, I want to trust you as the source, even though I don't feel like I can make my ends meet. God, I want to trust you with my relationships, even though I feel like I can't get them to do what I want them to do. How many of us have prayed people into our own image rather than into the image of God? God, would you help them be this person so I can deal with them easier? Okay, so I guess that was my own prayer. That's, I'm, I'm alone in this place. I thought it was safe. But what we see ultimately is repentance is simply a return. Turning from, turning towards. But it's ultimately a return. A return to what? The divine affirmation. You are my son. You are my daughter. In whom I love. With you, I'm well pleased. So I don't care how far you've got off course. I don't care how much you haven't listened. You don't have to make yourself more lovable to me, I already do. But as you get to work out your salvation and I begin to speak and you begin to soften your heart once again, well then, we are returning to the divine affirmation that we've known or maybe forgotten from the beginning. And this is what happens in Josiah's personal life and then in their whole lives. And he goes and he's tearing down. There was one shrine called Topheth. It was the shrine where there was child sacrifices. And he tears that down. I think that's a good repentant thing to do. A good turning away from. There was fertility worship going on. And there was all of this other stuff. And he says, we are going to worship differently. We are going to be a people that seeks after God. Because simply, they held up scripture. And it was a reflection back about where they were not married measuring up and where they had drifted but it also spoke to their potential acceptance always keeps the door open for our return and it's a return to that divine affirmation so when we talk about repentance we're talking about a return and so this verse out of uh, Isaiah 30 15 says this in repentance or return and rest is your salvation in quietness and trust is your strength. See, Paul told the Philippians to work out their, their salvation. Um, but when we make uh, salvation about the beginning of our life, um, our picture of God changes. If salvation is simply not going to hell, I think we miss out. It just makes God out to be this sort of angry person, an angry judge whom we'll meet when we die. But if God is a great shepherd who loves his sheep, if God is a picture of a loving father who's going after a prodigal child, 
we see that he loves deeply and he wants us to be near now. And so I don't know how many of you have wrestled with the idea of God's love for you. <laughs> maybe, maybe you just need to hear tonight, God's not angry. Maybe you feel like you've drifted away or your heart has grown so, not hard, but just apathetic. And I would just invite you back simply to that divine affirmation that says, you are my child in whom I love and with you I'm well pleased. Maybe God's been nudging you. <laughs> Maybe you've been hearing from God but waiting to hear something different. <laughs> and he's speaking to us about obedience. He's speaking to us about compassion. He's speaking to us about generosity. He's speaking to us about the nature of being in community and whatever it is. I think there's this growing sensitivity to the awareness of the presence of God that we need to respond to. So will you pray with me? Just bow your heads. We're not going to spend a lot of time in just wrapping up tonight, but I just want to pray with you and just make this just kind of a thoughtful time as we close. Our Father in heaven, uh, I'm reminded of your invitation to return to you. <laughs> and it feels like that's a daily invite. I don't want to be a people who just get saved, uh, but I want a people who get born again and again and again and again. And so I pray that you would soften our hearts, soften our doubts, soften our skepticism, soften our antagonism. Whatever it might be, I pray that our hearts would be found as supple and, um, and would be found as less than calloused, but nurtured. Mm -hmm. I pray, Lord, that we would be able to not just hear from you, but we would respond with great obedience, with great compulsion. As you welcome us into your presence, as you welcome us into this better life, I pray that your word and the community of faith would be a reflection of us and maybe steer us in a better way. So I pray that we would hear from you. I pray that you would speak now. I pray for the ministry of your Holy Spirit, that you would guide, guard, direct our thoughts. In just these moments, we offer you our praise. We offer you our ears and our heart. Would you guide our thoughts and our worship?